This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. Okay, it says we're recording. Yeah. How you doing? So, uh, I'm doing great. I'm curious how you're doing after that. Oh my gosh. This... <laughs> this episode... <laughs> <I> was... <laughs> episode six is incredible. It, I know. It's, it's... They turned... They turned... Two minutes of of like in world activity into fourteen minutes of screen time. <laughs> it's magic. It is a marvel of filmmaking. <laughs> oh my gosh! Welcome, welcome, my friends, to "Gotta Grow Up Sometime: A Swan's Crossing Retrospective." My name is Libby Grant, and I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. Having survived episode six. My God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so now I assume you understand why I said we had to do two episodes together for this one. I, here's, yeah. I mean, there's, I feel like, I feel like either one of these episodes, frankly, we could do an entire podcast episode <laughs> about. Not not because, I mean, there's not a lot to recap in episode six, but there's a lot to talk about. There sure is. I mean, nothing yeah. happens, and yet mm -hmm. you could talk about what does happen uh, yeah. before your eyes, the spectacle you witness for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's It's incredible. What can be Which said is, about about this, and yet what cannot be said about it? You know, there's there's so much. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to explore here today. You know, this is this is the Monday and Tuesday episode of their first, uh, their, their 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 excuse me, their second week of production. Yeah. So we we left week one on a cliffhanger. We come back with an action packed opening performance on monday of week two it's beautiful i'm so excited action-packed should be in air quotes but but it was packed with something <laughs> i'll tell you that i mean yeah there was action and it was packed but those two, it was not necessarily action-packed the episode was packed <laughs> i love this yeah well, we should probably go over your predictions from yes. the, the great cliffhanger that we covered last week. You predicted something would go wrong with the insurance, which Grant Booth purchased. You uh, predicted Sydney would decide she would never speak to Garrett again, and Garrett would be thrilled with himself for having pulled off the switcheroo of uh, Callie and Mila. Uh, Owen would try to connect with Mila awkwardly. I would argue you were correct about that. We'll get into yep. it. I'm one for four so far. <laughs> You hope that there would be more of Nancy, especially Nancy rubbing salt in Sydney's open wounds about being betrayed by Garrett. You would you predicted that Callie would write off Garrett entirely and try to hang with Saja instead. The Baldies doing their computer search would narrow down from North America to the Eastern Seaboard. <laughs> <laughs> Was I ever wrong? Uh, you predicted more tech shenanigans, shenanigans from JT and Neil, and then my notes just say in parentheses, computers or rockets. Not really sure what that <laughs> references, but who? it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And you were hoping for a good scene in Swan's Cafe, which you did get, but in an unusual twist. So let's, much to talk about. Let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, so the... Oh, shoot, I need to pull up my notes. <laughs> we We open with the the big announcement so we're actually we're 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 cutting in a, a few moments into the last episode and sydney is about to introduce callie as mila garrett shows up with the actual mila 
and the towers start falling, the fireworks are going off, the band is still playing. <laughs> JT's, or excuse me, Neil's remote gets stepped on, which sets off the fireworks. And as, as we move into new footage, one of the first new things that happens is Saja says, what is the sound of one taller tower falling as everything is in chaos around him? It's the first new line uh, of the episode, and it is amazing. It's it amazing. Is. It's so good. And Callie kind of runs up to him and grabs him and says, meditate later. We got to get out of here. Oh, my gosh. There is no, I want to pull, I want to make, make it very clear. There is no clear path away from the danger because we don't know where the danger is. We see shots of towers and we have shots of people running in all directions, but it is not clear what they're running away from or towards. Oh yeah. It's seriously just, it's like, uh, if you poke an ant nest and everything just swarms, it's just utter Mm -hmm. chaos. It's great. Yep. One of the towers does fall off the pier into the water. Yeah. In my notes, I wrote, nice. Spent the effects budget on that one. (laughs) The thing this show opted to spend their budget on and the things they opted not to put any money toward continue to boggle my mind. Right, right. Uh, and then during during the chaos, N- Nancy Nancy screams, "Don't let me die!" <laughs> so great. Sydney goes, "Nancy, shut up!" <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. So and then Mila's like shrieking for Garrett because the crowd goes nuts around her, and Garrett is like the only person she knows at that point, right? I um, is that why I could not have been more confused about why she's shrieking for Garrett in the middle of this chaos. Well, I, I assume it's because he's the only person she's met yet. So it's like hmm. the only name she knows, right? This is the only right. person she can call out to. Oh, a whale just went by outside. Hi, whale. Anyway. <laughs> what? What? Um, so, so yeah, and then Nancy's... You screaming. live on the water. No, no, no. I have a view of Griffin Bay from, from uh, where I sit. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> I just saw his little spout go up and then his little back go, woo. Oh, that's fun. Um, hi, whale. Anyway, so yeah, Nancy is screeching, don't let me, I'm going to die, don't let me die. And like, my notes say, it's funny that Nancy thinks she's going to die because this is startling and kind of dangerous, but also not even remotely something that looks like it's going to kill anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no death involved here at all until Sydney mistakenly knocks Mila into the water. Oh, she doesn't just, like, knock her into the water. Yeah, first she tells Nancy to shut up, then she turns and full-on body checks Mila. So she, like, (laughs) flies backwards into the water, and there's no one else nearby except for Nancy. So it's not like Sydney was dodging around in a crowd and, and, like, bumped into Mila on accident. She, like, football tackles her into the water. Right, right. And then Mila is in the drink and starts to scream that she doesn't know how to swim as she's swimming. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite things uh, because this goes on for some time. An extended period of time. But before we go into Mila in the water, I do feel like it is our duty to note that the band continues to play through all of this. All of it. They don't just play anything. They're playing, like, easy listening sax jams, like, soothing elevator music, but for some reason the sound editing is, like, amped up so that you can hear the music very clearly, like, da-da-da-da, over these scenes of chaos. It's, like, really uh, the wrong musical choice for this moment. On, on the plus side, they're no longer playing Never Give Up. <laughs> Maybe the message they're trying to send is that now is the time to, in fact, give up. Now is the time to give up. We're gonna we're oh, gonna play this. Ti- we're gonna play this Titanic right into the ground, right into the water. <laughs> also, listeners, I feel that it's important to note all of episode six in real time in in world probably takes two minutes, oh, and yet cool. they have stretched it out for fourteen in the episode now 14 minutes is 
less time than a normal episode of Swan's Crossing takes. And you may be wondering why that is. And believe me, you will not be disappointed. (laughs) Mila is now in the water, treading water quite capably and screaming that she can't swim. Um, Sydney, who, after football tackling Mila directly into the water, has fallen on her face. And Sydney's just lying on the ground, also screaming for help. She says she's bleeding, which barely. There's like a tiny cut on the side of her mouth. It's so small you can't even really see it. But Sydney just kind of half sits up and screams, Where is everyone going? Yeah. Uh, away and from the chaos. <laughs> Nancy Nancy runs over to help Sydney, but Sydney will not be helped. She is like clinging to the ground with all her might. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, just get up, Sydney. You're fine. You tripped and got a tiny cut on your lip. You aren't actually injured. So, yeah. yeah. So the girls are all kind of clustered together, standing over Sydney, who is shrieking on the ground. They're looking into the water where Mila is flailing. The boys run up, and they're all kind of looking for Mila, who now is kind of resurfacing periodically and then going under again. We get reused footage of Owen from the previous episode poking through when he looks at Mila and his glasses come up. Oh, this is... The first of many reused footages we will experience in this episode. But yeah, we get that moment where he pokes through the crowd again and sees Mila for the first time and hallucinates her as a bedazzled rhinestone-covered queen. But now he sees her standing in waist-deep water, kind of reaching her arms out and calling to him, Rescue me! Rescue me! So, And then... All the ju- all the guys jump in the water. Oh, all of them jump in at the same time and start thrashing around, trying to get hold no, of Mila. No one runs for a life preserver. Yeah. No one thinks, hey, we should get an adult. Yeah. The only adult still around is the coach, who is the most useless person on the dock. It's amazing. It is so great. And, and all this, so the boys all jump in and Sydney continues to shriek, what about me? But then like right before we cut to commercial, Kelly kind of swoops in and puts a cloth on Sydney's tiny little cut. So It took me forever to realize that the person who eventually started helping Sydney was Callie. And I was <laughs> like, what are, you're amazing. Like actually jumping in to do something when this, this crazy girl Last time, tried to introduce you to the entire town as someone else. Bravo, Callie Walker. Callie is the only human being in Swan's Crossing who has any sense and any morality. Like I and, love her. And who can do anything. Like, she just... Everyone else is such a shit show 100% of the time, and Callie can actually get stuff done. It, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. when we come back from the commercial break, we fade back in. We see Mila sink into the briny deep near the fireworks tower... And uh, Neil tells the coach the, remo- the remote broke, duh, because people stampeded over the top of it. Yep. And the coach is like, we have to stop the fireworks because they'll hit the kids. But the fireworks are in the water now, so, like, they're not also, off. Also, I love how the coach is like, the, the fireworks are going to hit the kids. Neil is a child! What are you talking about? <laughs> Get him out of there! <laughs> And Neil's like, I'm going to have to reroute it manually. I don't know what that means, but the coach just says, be careful, and kind of gives him a hearty slap on the back. Like, go to it, 14-year-old child. Stop the deadly explosion from killing several of your peers. And then the coach leaves, (laughs) and Neil just keeps fiddling with the remote. It's amazing. (laughs) It's wonderful. Oh, Neil. So Sydney, still shrieking, what about me, is told by Callie that she'll probably need stitches. No, she won't. That's not even, like, really bleeding. But Sydney screams, stitches on my face! Yeah, yeah. All of this, so, yes. So there's Sydney screaming on the ground next to Callie. And then there's the trio of Nancy, Sandy, and Glory, who are standing on the pier shouting things that they're seeing in the water. And I think the reason that they're doing this is it's very obvious that these two events, the stuff that's happening in the water and the stuff that's happening on the pier, were filmed at completely different times. Oh, yeah. The stuff that would happen in the water was filmed in the black of night. Like, (laughs) every time the camera cuts to the water, it is full-on dark out. (laughs) And the... We have no idea what's going on in the water because it's so murky. 
And so the, the the producers of this television show have decided to, instead of making what's happening in the water clear visually, they're going to have the three girls scream what's happening in the water <laughs> so that we, the audience, understand what's going on. Oh, it's the Expositron 5000. Oh, my um, gosh. So after Callie says, hey, you might need stitches, and Sydney freaks out, uh, Callie says, well, at least you ended up on dry land. Mila wasn't so lucky. And then Sydney gets this stunned look on her face and goes, it's not my fault. You don't think I tripped Mila on purpose? Yeah, you did, bitch. We all saw you shove her into the water when no one else was around. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And then <laughs> we lapse into the flashback to end all flashbacks. This is why the episode is 14 minutes long. 10 minutes of it is just this flashback. <laughs> oh my god. Sydney begins reliving every moment from the previous five episodes in which she ever worried about Mila. And I am not exaggerating. Every moment from the previous five episodes where she obsessed over Garrett or Mila, or both of them at the same time, and every time another character said Mila's name in whole or in part is replayed several times for two and a half minutes. The number of times that she repeats, uh, what if she's prettier? I was like, I, I'm confused. <laughs> did, did you think we weren't going to get it? Two and, and a half gonna... minutes in TV time is an eternity. Oh my word. This episode is 22 minutes long, including the very long end credits roll. So this is more than 10% of the runtime mm -hmm. is just, what if she's prettier? What if she's smarter? Like, over oh and over and I, over again. I do have to give Sarah Michelle Geller this. She is bringing some remarkable grounded vulnerability to this role, which is... I mean, it's amazing. Given given what she's working with, it is truly incredible what she manages to pull off. Oh, yeah. she's She was obviously a very talented actor from a very young age. You know, she yeah. had this down. She understood how to do it. We get to my favorite line of the episode. Oh, oh it must be my favorite line, too, because after that lengthy, lengthy reprise, we're back to the docks where everyone is still fretting on the wharf. Sandy is calling for Owen and says, what does she say, Nathan? He's not going to make it. No one can swim with drumsticks. <laughs> Which, can, I love that line so much. Can, can we um can we agree that that's the title of this episode? No one I, can swim with drumsticks. That has to be the title of this episode. I laughed every time I've rewatched this episode. I have cackled just as hard at that. No one can swim with drumsticks. And then we see Owen, who is, in fact, still holding his stupid drumsticks while he attempts to swim. Maybe they're, like, yep. surgically grafted to his hands. Maybe he's, like, Wolverine, but with sticks instead of knives. Absolutely. It should also be noted that he jumped into the water wearing his stupid sunglasses. And at some point, they become lost. I was not able to clock that moment when that happened. Um, but, yes, he has jumped full into the water with glasses and drumsticks. Go, Owen. Do you. Jimmy's apparently swimming to search for Saja, not Mila, because he's, like, swimming around calling for Saja. In the next episode, we understand why that is, but it is not clear at all in this episode. Nancy yells, Mila's gone under, which, again, we know. We were there. Then yep. there's just a bunch of shots of the boys flailing around together underwater and the girls on land yelling for them just over and over. Everyone's screaming each other's names. I cannot express how much screaming happens. Oh, God. It is it's so, so much. much screaming. Holy shit. Uh, um, and then the girls are like, they're all going to drown. They're freaked out. And Neil walks over, cool as a cucumber, and says, they've only been under for 7.5 seconds. We're seven minutes into the episode. <laughs> I just, I love how consistently and thoroughly autistic Neil is in every single scene. It's beautiful. <laughs> so he great. really he he loves time. That is <laughs> that is Neil. I think he loves time more than JT. And he loves JT a lot. 
<laughs> he loves JT and he doesn't get anything that's going on in the emotional world of any of the other characters. He's like, nope. why are y'all freaking out all the time? I love yep. it so much. We get more dramatic shots of all the boys underwater. This time they're reaching out. There's like one after another, the shot of them swimming towards the camera and then reaching out as if trying to grasp Mila, who is nowhere to be seen. Until Owen Owen gets another mystical Mila dream sequence oh of her with a harp? Yeah, it's like this pixel fade, and then it's Owen's bizarre fantasy world again. Mm-hmm. And instead of last time we saw into his mind, Mila was standing waist deep in the water. Now she's this like underwater princess in a fancy dress with like flowing sleeves. And yeah, she's playing, she's like strumming on a harp. And also, underwater fireworks are whirling around her. Mm-hmm. And and she looks like a Greek muse, like she's got a, like like a like a harp lyre thing. The yeah. oh my gosh, it's amazing! And then the boys, for no reason, start doing underwater somersaults. <laughs> all of them, it's all of them, like happy upbeat fantasy music playing, and they are all just rotating underwater. And then Mila's face appears in one corner, superimposed over the somersaulting boys, and she appears to be mouthing the words. Oh, yeah. (laughs) See, I thought she was... So, I didn't see the picture-in-picture of Mila until Owen was doing his somersault, and I thought she was saying Owen over and over again. You could be right. I prefer to think it's, oh, yeah. Owen. Oh. (laughs) I mean, you're probably correct, but but in my head, it's like Kool-Aid Man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Underwater somersaults. And then, like, Mila's giant head, swathed in pearls, like, drifts sideways across the screen while she looks very sultry. sultry. And all of this action still put, taking place totally underwater. This It's like a super long dream sequence that we get now of Owen's heroic fantasy. And the dream sequence goes on for two minutes. Oh, yeah. Potted flowers. Yes, the potted flowers. Fall past Mila underwater. It's very confusing. It's just like a red flower in a pot that sinks from the top of the frame down through the water to the bottom of the frame and out. It's incredible. I have a question for you about the flower pots. Do you think the director was trying to be artistic with that? Like, was this meant to be visually stunning or something? (laughs) I can't think of any other reason that you would do that (laughs) it doesn't make any sense and it is in the middle of a like a phantasmagorical sort of fever dream right so i I think it's intended to be visually stunning or beautiful or something it isn't but that may have been the intention it is memorable though i will give it that yeah. Um, so between this, like, Owen fantasizing while he rescues Mila and um, and Sydney's flashbacks, a total of four minutes, four and a half minutes in the entire episode is all just, like, flashback and mm-hmm. or weird fantasy sequence. So 20% of the runtime is just useless yep. filler where nothing happens. Yeah. And we cut back to Sydney, who is definitely not bleeding, but Callie just keeps holding that that hanky on her face. Someone says uh, they've been underwater too long, and Neil says the cold water will slow their metabolism, so there's still a reasonable chance. And the coach is still the only adult to be seen anywhere, so all these panicked children, with children missing, known to be in the water, and known to be unable to swim, no adults give a single shit. Right. It. The coach The coach is at least as unhelpful as the girls who are just standing there screaming and yelling things. Then Callie, Sydney is having a, uh, like a breakdown screaming. Callie finally starts just yelling at Sydney. It's so <laughs> good. Yes, she's like telling her to get her get a grip, basically. And Nancy says, you're talking to Sydney Rutledge. Ooh. And then Callie says, no, I'm talking to someone in shock. Callie's all like, nah, bitch, shut up. (laughs) And she adds, and that's your only excuse, Sydney. (laughs) Sydney looks properly chastised for being a total jackwagon. She looks so shocked to have been yelled at. That's, I think, my favorite thing is that she really looks like no one has ever spoken this way to her before. (laughs) Garrett pops up in the water. He's like, I've got her, but he only has JT. Like, he and JT have grabbed each other, and they each think they have rescued Mila. 
But then finally, Owen surfaces with Mila and Garrett is clearly pissed that Owen is the one who rescued the babe. Yeah. And finally, someone throws a life preserver to JT. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we do also see Owen still has both of his drumsticks in one hand. So uh, uh, Sandy was wrong. You can swim with drumsticks. You can swim with drumsticks. And maybe someday it will be possible for someone other than Garrett in Swan's Crossing to order a cherry Coke with no ice. They pull Mila and Owen out. Owen is covered in wet bunting, which is exactly how we all feel in our town by the time the 4th of July is finally over. Is that what that is? It's the bunting. I thought it was his underwear at first. It's like trailing from his leg. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah, I was was very confused about that. And then Mila looks at him and goes, you saved my life. Owen gets this. It's an uncomfortably long shot. (laughs) Yes. Like, so long. Owen gets this huge, dumb smile on his face, says, yes. (laughs) And he has no (laughs) follow-up. Oh, Owen. And I was immediately transported back to being in, like, middle school, early high school. And I'm like, yep, I also had no (laughs) follow-up. There's nothing else you can say to a girl. There was was (laughs) nothing. I had nothing. You managed one syllable, and that was good enough. Mm-hmm. So we see Muffy and Grant Booth. They're arguing over whose fault the tower the tower fiasco was. We get the member of the press comes up, and Muffy takes credit for averting a disaster. Yes. <laughs> and then we see Sydney, who's finally actually bleeding. Yeah. Uh, it took a while, but we got there. And she's trying to get someone's attention politely now, since Callie yelled at her for being a bitch. Right. But everyone still ignores her. Nancy just, like, runs off and leaves her. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Garrett, Mila, and Owen are kind of sitting on the dock, wrapped in blankets. Garrett asks Owen how he found Mila without his glasses. And Owen says, the music. I followed the music. <laughs> What? <laughs> what are you talking about, Owen? Sandy brings over more blankets, and no one seems to be paying attention to Sydney, which is obviously a big problem for her. There's another shot of Grant and Muffy continuing to bicker in front of a reporter, whatever. Callie's trying to help Saja, who apparently hit his head on a piling underwater, but we never saw that. Um, and he says he refuses to see a doctor because he can heal himself. Okay. And then Callie takes his pain away with acupressure because Callie knows everything about everything. Right. She she really is, for lack of a better term, a Mary Sue. She's wonderful. Essentially, but I'm I'm okay with it in this I'm world. I'm fine with it. Like anything, anything for more interest. <laughs> uh Muffy tells the reporter that her office will hold Grant Booth personally responsible if the insurance doesn't pay for damages. So ooh, we start to get some intrigue building there. And then they have an argument in front of the press reporter. Yeah, that's great. This, this reporter is just, they keep saying things to each other and then saying, this is off the record. And the reporter's like, there's nothing on the record. Like, what can I actually print out of your stupid argument here? Glory comes dangerously close to telling JT she loves him in a world where only like is supposed to exist. They once again almost kiss. And once again. With some beautiful, sappy synth music of course. underscoring. It's beautiful. And once again, predictably, Neil cock blocks the whole affair. Of course, just like right over. But can we also, can we also for a second talk about this entire scene between JT and Glory happens with, with Sydney in the background (laughs) watching. Like she's right between them in the, in the shot. Staring. (laughs) Just staring. So so great. So then we finally meet Mila's mother, who comes running up with her cockatoo on her shoulder and an enormous, hideous, lilac-colored feather hat on her head. Um, Is Mila's mom just referred to as the Countess for the entire series? Pretty much, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Apparently she's a Countess, which is interesting because uh, she grew up in Swan's Crossing, an American town, so I don't know how she also ended up a European Countess, but okay. Right. Well, and this is... So she immediately just hands the cockatoo off to Nancy. And this this is where I got the idea of, oh, it really, like, this is how they lost the bird in the first place for Garrett to find. 
The Countess will just let anybody take the cockatoo. She just passes him around. Also, I used to work as a zookeeper specializing in birds, and I can tell you with a high degree of certainty that people do not like it when you randomly hand them parrots. Most people, <laughs> most people in the world seem to be terrified of parrots. So <laughs> I can confirm I am not a fan of birds near myself. Yeah. I have stories to tell you, buddy. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mila tells uh, the Countess, her mother, that the boys saved her. And her mom calls them marvelous men and does this weird hand thing that is kind of like something royalty might do. Or like, take my hand and kiss my ring or whatever. Yeah. She congratulates the boys. Garrett's like, I'd do it all over again. And I was like, Garrett, you did nothing. <laughs> jumped into the water that was it you did literally nothing but the press comes up and tries to take pictures and mila's like oh please no pictures and garrett's like back off she's still pretty weak so the reporters talk to him for a second they're like oh you're one of the boys who tried to save her right and he's like yeah i'm garrett booth blah blah and sydney sees this and is just incandescent with rage mm -hmm. so she finally stands up which is a thing she could have done 16 minutes ago and says, yeah. doesn't anybody care about me? I'm losing blood here. <laughs> and then, and she... then she faints into Garrett's arms, <laughs> yes. which is amazing. Garrett catches her, and the reporters snap a picture of that dramatic moment. Then we get a voiceover of Muffy saying, the Brontosaurus would have to hatch again in Swan's Crossing before the Rutledges have anything to do with the booths. End credits, but wait. <laughs> well, wait, wait. I actually have an additional note that says Garrett's hand is totally on Sydney's butt. <laughs> oh, I missed that. I don't think it was like intentional. I think he's just trying to hold her up, but he got his hand on her booty. It, it, it the, the episode ends, and yet it does not end. Yeah, we cut to Swan Soda Shop, and the cockatoo is on top of the jukebox. There's a strange moment where they're trying to figure out how to find a coin. Like, they all have cash, but nobody has coins for the jukebox. And then they throw in a coin, and, and we we... I can't, it's, we hear or we see Swan's Crossing welcomes Mila Ravznoski. Oh, and, and, and up until that disembodied voice says that, it is completely silent. There is no sound at all. They're like mining all this shit with the money. And then a random so man quiet. says that out of nowhere. Nathan, you don't know this, but uh, I pulled that clip of that guy saying that and put it at the beginning of the previous episode. So. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh my gosh. And um, then uh, it, the music starts playing, and we launch into the accustomed opening sequence, but this time it's at the end of the episode for no apparent reason. I was wondering for most of the episode when we were going to hit our infamous Swan's Crossing theme song, and here's the thing. It's five minutes long. <laughs> The yeah, full thing with is, all the dancing yeah. is five minutes long. This is the full version of the song instead of the like cut down one that they used mm -hmm. for the opening theme. Do we know how old the actress playing Mila was when she did this part? She was 16. Okay. I'm very pro women whatever wearing whatever they want to wear. <laughs> As a professional doing theater in the world. Professional theater man, yes. I'm a professional theater man. I question the choice of putting a 16-year-old in a skirt that short. <laughs> yeah. It, it, um, it is really problematic. It's awfully racy, even for now, for a 16-year-old. And especially for back then, it was shockingly short. Yowza. Um, She's also the only one whose primary color is white. Uh, and everyone else's primary color is black with white accents. Yeah. So she, like, pops in the video footage. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it was, there There are quite a few questionable costuming choices in this show, but that is perhaps the most distressing of them all, given yeah. the actor's age. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, should we get into episode seven? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I do, I do want to... <laughs> I do want to point out one thing in the full version of the theme song, which is, I think this is the first time that we get the, the theme song footage of JT looking through his telescope. Oh, yes. 
and it immediately cuts to Glory's bedroom. And I don't think that they were trying to imply that he is like appearing over to look in Glory's bedroom, but that is immediately the the association I made. It does feel that way. Holy cats. <laughs> buddy. Slow your roll, dude. Yeah, yeah, that is unhealthy. Let's jump into episode seven. Episode seven opens. We're outside Saja's house where we see that the door has been patched with a few pieces of wood. Yeah, Callie and Jimmy are there. They've come to check on Saja after his head injury. But Sophia comes to the door and says he's back to his abnormal self. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then Saja comes out and sees Callie and calls (laughs) and he calls her... The lotus blossom on the pond of life. (laughs) I would like to pluck you out of the water as you have plucked me. And Sophia is not having it. Yeah, yeah. She's like, what the fuck is going on here? Saja says, a warrior always claims his prize before entering battle. And when he says entering battle, he kind of throws this look at Jimmy. So apparently now it's on. And Saja is going to contend with Jimmy somehow for the hand of fair Callie. But Sophia's all pissed, and she asks Jimmy if he's trying to get with Callie or what. This little smirk crosses Callie's face, and it's perfect. (laughs) I was like, yes, yes, please. At least one person here is acknowledging that this is ridiculous. But the the actual, I want to bring up something here, because the actual question Sophie asks Jimmy is, is she your prize or Saja's? And I want to, this kind of, like, patriarchal ownership of women was everywhere in the 90s oh yeah it was it took me years of my life to unlearn this shit and it just brings up such feelings of rage in me now oh my gosh i was like this it's this kind of bullshit yeah that really fucked up my relationships for years yeah, you and probably every other man who likes women and oh my gosh. every woman out there who likes dating men as well. I mean, it was a it really was it, it that ownership narrative just really saturated our storytelling in every conceivable media back then. I'm glad we are moving away from that now, um, but it was it was bad back then. Yeah. So after Sophia asks Jimmy if he's also viewing Callie as a prize, Jimmy just doesn't answer, which I think is probably the best option in that circumstance. Good move, (laughs) Jimmy. I plead the fifth. (laughs) Jimmy has no idea what he's got in dating Sophia. (laughs) Oh, boy. Jimmy, you're going to regret this later, let me tell you. Jimmy, my man. (laughs) So we cut to Sydney in her bedroom where Sandy and Glory have tucked her into bed with a huge ice pack on her head. It's a perfect white bed. Everything is white. Oh my God. It's amazing. Sydney is staring sightlessly at the ceiling and she says, I will never be the same. And then Sandy says, truthfully, you really can't see it, referring to the scar on her face. Yeah. It is also important to note, this is the next day. Yeah. This is the next day. There are no visible stitches anywhere on Sydney's face. And yet, supposedly, she got stitches last night. Yeah. And and then Sydney's like, I'm not talking about the physical wounds, which, first of all, it's singular wound. You only had one stupid cut, and it's the size of a paper cut. Um, and Glory's trying to reassure her that Garrett only ignored her on the dock because he thought she wasn't in any real danger. And to be fair, she wasn't. She could yep. have gotten up at any time. <laughs> right. And we cut to what I think is the doctor's office for this, like cutesy romantic scene as as sydney is about to get her stitches and garrett's like it's only three stitches three is a lucky number and she goes lucky for us i hope so (laughs) me too and then uh, sydney's like oh i'm gonna have a scar and garrett says it widens your beautiful smile (laughs) literally my next note is what the fuck (laughs) It totally makes me think of, like, Joker or something. (laughs) Exactly. That was my exact, like, association. I was like, is she the Joker now? (laughs) Well, she is evil, so. Well, there we go. This is also another scene where Garrett is making way too much intense eye contact and talking in a way that feels entirely too mature and sexual for a kid of his age. It's a little creepy. Yeah. We cut back to the bedroom. Yes. Gloria admits that Garrett never knew Mila before, and he was just saying that to get Sydney quote, all fired up, which 
let's remember that that choice of words was used a few episodes from now when things get Mm. even stranger. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, Sydney's like, I knew that. And, and and, uh, she says after what Garrett did for her last night, mother is sure to let her be with him. Um, I guess what he did was catching her when she fake fainted and then sitting with her in the hospital while she got her stitches. It's not really clear. I guess that, and then we, we immediately cut to Muffy in the office why does what is is the office at the house somewhere? I don't think it is, but there's like fabric everywhere. I'm not sure if it's Muffy's like jacket or what it is. Um, I don't know what is going on with this office's location or decor. It's all very confusing. It looks like the Oval Office kind of like there's a big American flag in the background and yeah. But yeah. can we talk about Muffy's breakfast? Oh, let's because. Dear listeners, for those of you who may not have grown up in the 80s and 90s, there was a thing for a long time known as the grapefruit breakfast. (laughs) Essentially, mothers in particular, I think, would slice a grapefruit down the middle and eat half of it for breakfast. The most dissatisfying breakfast of all time. I can't. I can't. My mother did this constantly throughout my childhood. I'm not even sure what the point is. Like, you aren't going to not be hungry after that. You're going to probably be more hungry. Yeah, um, I think it was a weight loss thing. I'm not I 100%. guess. Uh, it's so weird. Oh, the 80s. Um, so she picks up the newspaper where Garrett is clutching Sydney in his arms right on the front page. And the headline reads, A Booth Can Help a Rutledge. <laughs> Theme song. <laughs> yes. And it's important to note, in this particular theme song, we only get one new fake swan. This is not the full typical theme song. Alas. Important. Uh, Back in Sydney's room, she makes Glory give her her hand so she can hold it to show her exactly how Garrett held her hand while she was getting her stitches. And uh, Muffy appears and kicks Sandy and Glory out of the room. Sandy and Glory say they're going to go check on Mila, and Sydney gets pissed. Right, obviously. Why Why would you go check on her? And then she wants a report back on how Mila's room looks, and they're not going to the house. She's not at the house. She's invited everyone to Swans for a recovery soda. Recovery soda. And also, Muffy... Muffy's like, you know, Sydney's like, why are you going to go see Mila anyway? And Muffy's like, well, she's probably suffering from trauma, too. And Sydney says, she's suffering from drama, not trauma. And my notes say, look in the mirror, you Scarface Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Look in the mirror, you Scarface Drew. (laughs) One of the best sentences I've ever heard. Thank you. I am a professional word woman. <laughs> yep. Professional word lady. Um, in the soda shop, Mila's mom and some of the kids are, are dinking around and kind of recounting the previous day's events. Jazz comes running over and takes the bird from Mila's mom. Just takes the bird. <laughs> like, first of all, why did she bring her cockatoo into the restaurant? Is Tutu like the emotional support peacock on that airplane? Apparently. That's my favorite my favorite news story from past years. And why is it Jazz's job to tend to the damn bird? She's got to run an entire restaurant on her own. Exactly. She is the only person working. And uh, the one of my favorite little conversations that happens during this scene is uh, uh, the Countess calls Owen a regular Errol Flynn. And Owen has no idea who Errol Flynn is, so they explain it. <laughs> and I would... I want to know... Uh, Libby, what is what what were your Errol Flynn experiences growing up? I don't know if I had any specific Errol Flynn experiences growing up, but I mean, I knew he was an actor. Oh, okay. Cuz I grew up watching Errol Flynn movies. Oh, okay. There were huge favorites in our house. His Robin Hood, there was a pirate one called Against All Flags, several other ones. Errol Flynn was like a hero in my house growing up. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) And for those of our listeners who have never heard of this person, actor, liked to do like big swashbuckling movies. He was, I mean, essentially Errol Flynn was like, his movies were like our Marvel movies today. They were the big blockbusters of the time. Yeah, the big action flicks of the time. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of the Chris Helmsworth. How do you say that guy's last name? That guy. Hemsworth? Thank you. (laughs) I just call him Abs. 
He was the abs of his day. JT and Neil come over and introduce themselves, and they address Mila's mom as Countess for the first time. So we get that first uh, first hint of her being somehow both American and European royalty in one go. And she does have some sort of weird accent. I feel like that's important to note. It does, yeah. Garrett pulls Owen aside and tells him to can the modest hero routine. He's still like all his ass is chapped because he didn't get to rescue Mila from the water. The Countess kind of helps break up their, their burgeoning argument a little bit. And she's like, oh, we used to be strangers, but now we all share this bond. Uh, we've all gone through something together. And JT's like, no, Garrett knew Mila before. And Mila's like, what are you talking about? I just met Garrett yesterday. So now the cat's out of the bag. Everyone knows that Garrett is a big fat liar. JT, so JT finds this out and he's like, something's fishy. Neil leans over and smells Owen <laughs> in in what is legitimately one of the one of the most obvious sight gags I've ever seen in my life. And Owen goes, I took a shower. <laughs> I'm like, good for you, Owen. Way to set an example for all of these early, early pubescent yes. viewers of this show. Be like Owen, kids. Take a shower after you plunge into the briny deep. And all the time. Um, back in Sydney's room, Muffy comes in with the newspaper and kind of gets into it a little bit about how Sydney's getting too sweet on Garrett and how she's been distracted and like half-assing things at horse camp. Uh, and then she tells her not to go gallivanting around with Garrett anymore because the booths are dicks. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and Sydney kind He's of like devious, ambitious. He doesn't care. That's right. Sydney kind of susses out that maybe Muffy liked Grant Booth when they were teenagers together, and Muffy will neither confirm nor deny. She does not answer. Yeah. She just says, "Booth men are trouble. Young or old, big trouble." <laughs> but after Muffy leaves the room, Sydney is clearly thrilled that her picture of herself in Garrett's arms made the front page news. Obviously. So back at Swans, JT and Garrett are still kind of almost arguing over the did Garrett know Mila before or not situation. JT wants to know how Garrett knew where to find her. And then he makes it clear that Tutu the Cockatoo was the key. So Nathan, it took a couple of episodes here, but your prediction was right after all. You predicted that the bird would help lead Garrett to Mila. It's true. It's true. I mean, we did. We, he had to carry it on his motorbike on his arm to make it happen. but. We got there. We ended up there. Yeah. Garrett asks Glory to call Sydney and tell her to meet Garrett at no man's land, but Mila interrupts and Garrett runs off with Mila. And Glory's like, What about Sydney? And Garrett's just like, Nah. <laughs> Forget it. And then Nancy Nancy starts leaving and and passes by Glory. Glory's like, You're going too? What is Glory's deal? She's just very concerned about people leaving. Also, what is on Nancy's shoulder? <laughs> it is an Hermé scarf, a silk scarf by a fancy designer, but it's just sort of draped over one shoulder, and underneath it is this, like, blazer. So Nancy's back in her power suit again. It's just such a weird look for anyone, but especially for a teenager. I love Nancy so much. She oh, is the worst. She's the absolute worst. Nancy, I feel there is not nearly enough of Nancy anywhere in this show. We need to be fire-hosed with Nancy at all times. She's on her way to, quote, cheer Sydney up by telling her about Mila. I just, I was right about the salt in the wound thing. Yeah, we just don't get it on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, JT and Neil have to go do some Professor Van stuff, but JT has to watch his little sister, so Glory volunteers to babysit instead. And then we cut to Mila and Garrett having an intense conversation. And Mila is like not happy that Garrett made a big deal out of her arrival in Swan's Crossing because she wants to just blend in and not be seen as anyone extraordinary. Right. She doesn't want any more surprises. Cut across the cafe. Countess is arranging a new surprise. <laughs> yeah, About... she's talking to Owen and Sandy. Yeah. And they, they agree to participate okay. somehow in this as yet undisclosed surprise. Back at the exterior of the DeCastro home, Callie, Jimmy, Saja, and Sofa, Sophia, Sofa, Callie, Sofa. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Callie, Jimmy, Saja, and Sophia are still all standing around like before in exactly the same places. So it feels like they've been standing there for six hours at this point. Uh, <laughs> Sophia gets all up in Callie's face and introduces herself with all of her names. We haven't met. I'm Sophia Ava McCormick DeCastro. <laughs> Oh, much tension. Jimmy says Callie's new in town, and Saja says he met her in the astral plane. 
No, he didn't. Right. He met her in the park while he was kicking a tree. Every time somebody says, I'm new in town, or they're new in town, I instantly think of John Mulaney. <laughs> Me too! <laughs> I'm new in town, and it gets worse. <laughs> I live on a submarine. I thought of that too. <laughs> <laughs> there are no girls who live on submarines in New York anymore. I know someone who's new in town. <laughs> what are three other things about her? <laughs> oh, I love John Mulaney. <laughs> oh. Sophia says, excuse my brother. And Callie's like, why? Because he's different from his sister. So now like Sophia and Callie hate each other. Sokka right. makes some comment about intensifying his chi. And Callie says to Sophia, chi means energy. <laughs> And Sophia responds in Chinese as if to say, no shit, I'm chi- I'm Chinese. Even though Mira Sorvino is not Chinese. She's not Chinese. Also uh, does get, I'm glad we got a classic eye roll because we, we didn't get a classic eye roll from Sandy in this episode. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia, for stepping into Phil the Void. <laughs> we appreciate your service. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so they leave and Jimmy looks over at Callie like, you ever ride a bike? And she goes in her like ultra sultry manner only when I'm not walking. <laughs> oh, Nancy calls Sydney and she's making up a bunch of bullshit about Mila's bedroom, which of course Nancy has not seen at this point. But Sydney gets a call on the other line and puts Nancy on hold. And it's Glory. No. And she's calling on Garrett's behalf to meet him at No Man's Land. She tells him that Glory admitted he was a jerk in front of everyone and Sydney is encouraged. She puts Glory on hold and goes back to Nancy merely to tell her to hold on some more. And then she calls her mom. (laughs) So Just to be sure that Muffy's going to be busy for a couple hours so she can go meet Garrett. Yeah. So now we're on four lines. And And it's... And it's a, it's a four-way split screen, listeners. Yeah. It's incredible. It's some real What's the Story Morning Glory vibes. Um, everyone's on hold. Mom asks whether the Stonewallers have arrived yet. Uh, yep. Then she's talking to Nancy again, and then Glory again, and like back and forth, and it's wild. And then Glory just starts randomly mashing numbers on her cell phone while it's on hold, and you can hear the beeps. It's like beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Can we point out one thing, though? It is during this scene that Jazz gives the first bill that we see anywhere in this series to Glory. (laughs) While Sydney is talking to either Nancy or Muffy, Jazz walks over, hands Glory a bill, and Glory looks at it like, how am I going to pay this? I'm 14. Uh, so finally, Glory and Sydney are talking again, and Glory says to meet Garrett in no man's land in 15 minutes. Sydney checks in with everyone else, tells them to stay on hold, and then hangs up her phone and wanders off to get makeup so she'll look nice for Garrett. So everyone is still on hold. Everyone's on hold, there. and they're all yelling to Sydney to pick up the line. And That's Sydney so is just relishing the fact that these other people are waiting on her. It's beautiful. Then we see uh, JT and Neil talking about UB2B some more while they they walk very slowly with an envelope they're going to mail. It's Professor Van's request for whatever elements they're trying to get. And he mentions that... There's some kind of time crunch. I'm not sure what that's about. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, at least they're not T-minusing this time. But they mention, he mentions that uh, the request for the elements should be entering Rodavian Nuclear Institute right now. So then we know the name of the fake country the Baldies are from. It is called Rodavia. Ah, Rodavia. Excellent. And the first, and, and then we cut to the bald guys, or gloved hands, and <laughs> we, we hear... Authorization has come through. We have clearance to open the envelope. And Professor Xavier Van is the name on the return address that these these gloved hands are sort of opening. Yes, and it was mailed to Dravroga Reactor, Transylvania. But like, oh my God. but it's just says Transylvania, like that's a country, but it's like a region in Romania. And the return address from Professor Van is the made-up country of Rodavia, not Swan's Crossing. So I don't know how they're going to get these elements mailed to them if they don't have the right address. And the street name is Kremlin Square. So oh my I'm gosh. about whether 
Transylvania is supposed to be in Rodavia and they just aren't using Romania or whether mm-hmm. Rodavia is supposed to be like this fictional stand-in for Russia. I don't know what's going on, but it's something yeah. Eastern European. <laughs> not <Sure. really. laughs> we, we cut from there to Sandy and Owen practicing for whatever the Countess has talked them into. Owen has another flash dream of Mila. Yeah. Oh. It's very quick. It's like super quick. And it's mercifully Sandy, quick. And Sandy sort of notices that he's staring at Mila through this. And she kind of looks at him like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I'm right here. Um, Garrett comes running out of his house and sprints off to the wall. And on the other side of the wall, we see a guy from a business called Swan Stonewalling who's singing the song Feelings under his breath while he fills in the giant bomb blast that used to exist in the wall between the Booth and Rutledge homes. Sydney discovers that they've walled up the No Man's Land hole. Garrett gets to the other side. <laughs> they can hear each other's voices. Oh my god. And the camera the camera pans up and so that it's looking down on them. You can clearly see this wall is like six feet long. <laughs> I just wanted to be like, go around, you idiots. Oh my god, seriously, it it is it the wall ends like an arm's length from where they're standing. <laughs> <laughs> and it also just every time I see this stupid wall, it reminds me so much of a midsummer night's dream. Oh my yes. god. In this Oh wall. Oh yeah. wall. Oh sweet, oh lovely wall. <laughs> In this same interlude, it doth befall that I, one snout by name, present a wall. <laughs> ah, that's so, so, so real quick, in these two episodes, by my count, we only got five new fake swans. Oh. So fake, fake swans have pulled ahead again. Hold on one second. Before we get into fake swans, I just have to mention one thing that was very important to me on a visceral yes. level. When Garrett sees that the hole is patched, he looks really bummed. And then he leans his head against the stone and it makes an audible clunk. <laughs> you okay. have watched this so many times. I know, it's terrible. I'm sorry. All right, so please proceed with our swan count. All right, so five new fake swans over these two episodes. We're now at actual swans 24, other swans 30. Oh, wow. And I have some predictions. Okay. Wait, who who was our most psychotic in this one, do you think? Oh, good question. Oh, okay. Um for for episode 6, I have to go with Owen. Yeah, his, I would say that was weird. Like Sydney is working it, but Owen is having this bizarre fever dream about Mila. Uh with absolutely no with absolutely no regard for her or her feelings or like if there's any actual connection there. With you on that, yeah. What about yeah. episode seven? I, well, what do you think? Uh, I mean, no one's super psychotic in episode seven. Probably just Sydney by default. I think so. Garrett has a low psychotic episode where he's not, it doesn't appear like he's scheming anything. And couple that with, with Sydney's desire to put everybody on hold and make them wait for her i think we have to go with sydney yeah in episode seven. i would say so all right i'm going to put myself on mute so i can type while you tell us your predictions for next time okay we get more of owen and sandy prepping for whatever the surprise is for mila sydney and garrett try to concoct a way a like to be together around like getting around the wall mila and mila doesn't see owen at all in the next episode she gets distracted maybe by garrett i think i feel like we've been working towards fourth of july for a while so there we're we need to we need to build to another event i think it's gonna be some sort of party i think there's gonna be some like the surprise like the countess is gonna throw mila a party or something i'm not sure and then JT and Neil get the first thing back from Professor Van. And what else? I still, I want more. I want more from the offstage presence of the guys on the computer, whether it's our, our baldies or the non-baldies. I want someone to keep working towards tracking down Neil and JT. And I think there's probably a little more fallout from the toppling of the the 4th of July towers. That's what I think. Okay. All right. 
some uh, some nice logical predictions, and we will see if anything logical happens in this show or not. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, you know, we still haven't come up with a way to sign off our show and to end it. You know, one thing we do need to do is thank the folks who gave us permission to use our theme song. Oh, we do. We do. We need, need to be doing that every episode. We probably should. Um, I did get permission from Richard Winsler, who wrote the Swans Crossing theme song and much of the other sort of in-world music, including that sweet jam that always plays when Glory and JT are having their uh, their moments together. Oh, um, God bless you, Richard Winsler. He is such a wonderful guy, and he granted us permission and i also and so yes our our theme song is used with permission of richard winsler and steve lane thank you gentlemen and did we get any have we got any oh we don't have with the episode where we asked for suggestions for signing off no it hasn't, yet. it hasn't come out yet so i mean i can i'll put some stuff out on social media i'll tell people we need help figuring out how to sign off and see what people suggest but um i think we should do it uh we should do something along the lines of until next week, may all your towers remain upright and not fall. You know, like we should, we should pull something from the episode. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. Then we're going with that. I hope no towers fall on you. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I so bad at podcasting? <laughs> New music. And roll. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll call that good. <laughs> Owen! 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 He's not gonna make it. No one can swim with drumsticks!